Welcome to the Sermon Podcast from Church at the Well in Towson, Maryland. To learn more about Church at the Well, visit our website, thewellbaltimore.com. And now, here's today's sermon from our pastor, Dane Carraway. you knew this, but this past week was um, Teacher Appreciation Week. Now, I should have done this last week, but my relationship with teachers has always been that I turn in my work in late, so I figured it's not too late to do it, you know, this Sunday. Um, if, if you know the people of our church, you know, we have lots of people in education, um, whether it be uh, folks that teach in uh, the, the public schools or either around here in the city or uh, in Baltimore County. We have a, a bunch that work at Perry Hall Christian School. Um, we have folks that uh, not even just teach in the classroom setting, but teach in, uh, whether it be in sports with uh, racquetball or that coach football or basketball or, or different things. And even just like the whole atmosphere of that, like of our churches just being that we're not just people that just exist in the same rooms for one another, but the idea and the value of mentorship and the value of pouring into somebody else. I, I, I just want to make it clear that as we think about the gospel, as we think about the, the call, what Jesus told us to do, that you cannot talk about what it means to make disciples without teaching, that it's ingrained in who we are or who we're supposed to be in Christ, that we would not just be people that make disciples, but what that means is teaching in the way they should go. And I just wanted to make sure that I said that because I think that it, it is amazing to me when, when you think about like the industry of uh, folks in our church what they do in, you know, in their lives, what they do with their lives, what they do to earn a paycheck. So many of you are, are, are doing or have the opportunity to do what the gospel commands us to do in your jobs. It's a hard call. I'm married to one, and I know that it comes with late nights. It comes with little appreciation. It comes with attitudes. Maybe it's from people this tall. Maybe it's from people taller than you. But I, I want you to know that like who you are and what God has called you to do, it is, it, it is, it is valuable to him. You, you don't get paid like you should. Amen? I, I, <laughs> you don't get paid like you should. You don't receive the appreciation that you should. But I mean, just for a moment, like can our church, can we just appreciate the teachers of our, of our, um, of our small congregation? Um. So I want to do, I'm just going to pray for that. I want to pray over our teachers, just a blessing over them. And then we're just going to um, transition to another group of people that we need to talk about. Uh, Father God, thank you so much for um, the teachers in this room. God, um, uh, our church was, was, uh, was built upon the backs and, uh, um, you know, from the very beginning, who's been in our small groups, who's been, uh, um, you know, leading in our church, so working their full days pouring themselves into the lives of students and uh, other teachers and folks, and then coming in and helping to build a church. God, I just praise you and thank you so much for the teachers that we have been blessed by. God, I pray that uh, as, you know, they finish up this year, that you would provide them rest this summer, that you would fill them as they've poured themselves out. God, sometimes like in, in sacrifice of times of the, of for, by themselves or by, with their own families. And I mean, now we're like a month or two away. I'm not exactly sure. But just give them the strength to finish the year strong. But to continue to do it with fervency and continue to do it in a way that points to their worship for Christ, God. As they teach and as they pour into young people, 
May they teach in ways that, that would bring glory and honor to you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen. Um, so that's, that's, that's our teachers. Um, I don't know if you knew, but today is uh, Mother's Day. Um, and I, I don't have a traditional like Mother's Day message, but what I am sure to do, and I would never neglect the, uh, the, um, the, the women who um, not only have been um, moms to me, but also just more so the, the women of the church. I, I, you know, Jeremiah jokingly said, but there's some truth to it, that um, the, in a church setting like this, it's almost that if you are, you know, if you are, a lot of times like any woman would have to fill in the motherly role at some point in time. And that doesn't always happen for dads. Dads, we could just kind of show up and you know, be there. Sometimes it's just saying, stop it. But, you know, like the, the women of our church, you, you guys, unfortunately, sometimes are just forced into situations. And, and I just wanted to kind of like make sure, and, I, and I've said this before, we are a church that would not exist if it wasn't for the women of this church. Like, don't get it twisted. If you, if you thought there was anything great about me, it's because of who I was raised by and who I'm married to. You could go take them both out to lunch and, and they would tell you and give you a great argument on why that's the case. You know, I, I, I think that... You, oh, Camilla, great. Yeah, I was like, which one am I raising? <laughs> uh, okay. Yeah, yeah, she's important. Um, yeah, so I, I, I just think that, you know, what, what I want, you know, uh, uh, the moms in this room to know, uh, especially all the ones who, are, who have kids and, you know, like that, that are playing over there in, uh, in uh, Well Kids this morning, um, how much we appreciate you. Um, I, you know, I can think of every mom in this room where Sundays come with a lot of jobs. Um, my wife, for instance, she makes it as little of my job to be dad as possible on Sundays so that I can do this. And that's hard because then that makes an extra job for her. But that's no different than what so many of the moms or, or our wives um, do every single day. Um, I want our, so much of our church and the, and the purpose of our church and the posture of our church has always been about togetherness. And I never want even a holiday, and, I, and I'm sure the moms in here would, would understand and would agree with this, to be something that's divisive. I would never want to celebrate um, the moms of our church in a way that caused pain or caused emotional distress to, to, to any of the other women in our church. So I, I found something that I wanted to share with you. Um, it's called the wide, the wide Spectrum of Mothering by Amy Young. Just listen to this. She says, to those who gave birth this year to their first child, we celebrate with you. To those who lost a child this year, we mourn with you. To those who are in the trenches with little ones, little ones every day and wear the badge of food stains, we appreciate you. Anybody can give testimony to food stains. To those who experience loss through miscarriage or failed adoptions or running away, we mourn with you. To those who walk the hard path of infertility, fraught with pro pokes, prods, tears, and disappointment, we walk with you. Forgive us when we say foolish things. We don't mean to make this harder than it is. To those who are foster moms, mentor moms, and spiritual moms, we need you. To those who have warm and close relationships with your children, we celebrate with you. To those who have disappointment, heartache, and distance with your children, we sit with you. To those who lost their mothers this year, we grieve with you. 
To those who experienced abuse at the hands of your own mother, we acknowledge your experience. To those who lived through driving tests, medical tests, and the overall testing of motherhood, we are better for having you in our midst. To those who have aborted children, we remember them and you on this day. To those who are single and long to be married and mothering your own children, we mourn that life has not turned out the way that you longed for it to be. To those who step-parent, we walk with you on these complex paths. To those who envisioned lavishing love on grandchildren, yet that dream is not to be, we grieve with you. To those who will be empty, uh, will, will have emptier nests in the upcoming year, we grieve and rejoice with you. To those who place children up for adoption, we commend you for your selfless and remember your selflessness and remember how you hold that child in your heart. And to those who are pregnant with new life, both expected and surprising, we anticipate with you. This Mother's Day, we walk with you. Mothering is not for the faint of heart, and we have real warriors in our midst. We remember you. Listen, I, 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 I am, I'm passionate, and if you've ever heard me preach, I, I have a hard time not mentioning my wife and my mom, but, but I also know that God puts us in roles, and he puts us in, uh, in communities of folks, and, and I just want to thank Yes, the moms in a room, but the women of our church and how the roles that God is using and will you in the play in the lives of other people. Um, we have a gift. I don't know where Jeremiah went. Oh, there he is. We have a gift, actually, for all of the, the women in our room. We have a great friend down in, uh, from where we're from in Southern Maryland who makes soaps. It's called Brandywine Soaps. You could follow her on Instagram. And um, if all the women, if you want one, Jeremiah will, will bless you. Well, Jeremiah won't because he didn't pay nothing. Um, but Jeremiah will hand one to, to, sorry, Jeremiah, that was rude. Um, well, we have gifts for actually for all of the women in our room. Everybody gets one. Everybody gets one. If you want one. If you don't want one, you know, take it to your mom or take it to somebody else this week. Okay? Um, while he's doing that, can I, can I pray for all the women in, uh, in, in our room, uh, in our room, in, in this space, and um, especially all of the moms? And um, would you guys just join me in doing that? Uh, Father God, thank you so much for um, the, the blessings of moms. God, a lot of times we only think about blessings as something supernatural that you do. Uh, we only think about it as, as in terms of if you, by your mighty hand you make something move. But uh, what I believe happens more often is you bless us with the relationships that we have. And God, it's, it's not easy. And, and I don't say this because I've been through it, what it means to be a mom, but I'm in close proximity to two. Um, and I can just imagine um, the heartache that comes with it, the um, unappreciation that's shown. Uh, God, and I thank you for, uh, as, as uh, the piece that I just read said, the, the warriors that are in this room. God, I um, also just want to celebrate the lives of um, the women that aren't here. God, uh, we all have, in some point in time, lost um, mom figures, and even this year in our church, we've lost moms and grandmas and aunts and sisters. And God, I, might, uh, I just pray for those that, you know, today is not as big of a celebration as it probably feels like it should be. May you just be, be close to those. May you show comfort to those. May you just allow your, your grace and, and your peace to be upon um, those families today. God, I just ask you for, for strength, God. Um, and in a society that so often, um, you know, pushes uh, women to, si to the side and, um, you know, doesn't, doesn't uh, always give the um, 
recognition that's deserved. God, may we be a church that continues to celebrate our women. I thank you for those that lead, um, whether in every facet of our church, whether it be here on this stage and over in kids and even in our teams, God, um, we would not be a church if it wasn't for the women of our church. And may we never forget that. Um, so, um, so I just want to say thank you for the blessing of the people in this room um, who have their own kids and who have been the moms of our church. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Um, so I hope that um, after last week, um, everyone is on board or on the bridge, if you, would, if you would allow me to be corny and say that, um, about this new series that we're doing. So last week we started this series called The Bridge. Um, we've been going through the book of Matthew, um, and we, like, we're going to be in chapter two today, if you want to get ready for that. Um, the whole idea behind this idea of the bridge is, is like this book, Matthew, I believe is, it, it serves as a perfect bridge from the Old Testament into the New Testament, but also Matthew, his whole style of writing is pointing to the promises that was made concerning Jesus in the Old Testament and the fulfillment of how it shows up in the life of Jesus. Like that, that, that's his whole, you know, uh, uh, you know, what he points to, what he wants to be happening and what he wants to, uh, to, to show us in his writing. So um, I'm, I'm excited to go ahead and get into it. And as I've been told, I have lots of slides today. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get with it so the mo- moms in here can have a Mother's Day brunch, if that, if, if that sounds good. Um, so we're going to start in Matthew chapter 2, verse 1. After Jesus was born... In Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who had been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard, uh, heard this, he was disturbed and all of Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the, pe- uh, the people's chief priests and the teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people, of Is- uh, my, my, my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time in, uh, that the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the, uh, heard the king, they went on their way and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gold, um, with, with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. Um, if you're visiting with us for the first time, no, I'm not nuts. I understand that today's Mother's Day and it's not Christmas. But, you know, in following the, the narrative of the story, we, we, we got to go here. Uh, um, and, I, you know, even what we're going to talk about in a second is that what, what we celebrate and what we recognize as being part of the story probably didn't happen in the timeline in which what we probably think that it does. Um, here, here's the question that I want us to go after this morning. And we're going to read some more here in a second. Um, what does knowing Jesus look like? I mean, like, you know, we have our, our, uh, our views of, of, of like what somebody looks like. If I was to ask you to sketch the person or describe the person who knows Jesus, what, what would you say? 
You know, even like the question when I was working on this, I thought of um, the church that we came out of and um, some of the, 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 the little old ladies that I miss so dearly. And uh, what they would say when I would bring like a teenager or to, um, to church for the first time, they would go up and they would say, baby, do you know Jesus? You know, or it would just be like some sort of, of that uh, type of uh, interaction. One of my um, famous uh, down in Lynchburg, Virginia stories. Um, I think this is the first time my mom will hear this story, so here we go. Um, there was a, uh, there was, um, uh, Thomas Rhodes used to do this like Sunday series on, on Sunday evenings where they would always invite a guest speaker. And there was this guy who, I didn't read a lot of books, but I read this guy's book and I had to go hear him speak. Problem was, I was a college student. I didn't, like, I was on my, like, I'm going to come to church how I want. Like, I don't, I don't care what anybody thinks about what I wear. And I had had this, like, brand new bathing ape hoodie, and it was just, like, the complete opposite of what people at Thomas Road wear. Like, Thomas Road is like, you better, like, come suited and booted, you know, shine shoes, even on Sunday evening. And I was like, I fell asleep in front of NFL football all day. I'm in sweatpants and this, like, oversized bathing ape hoodie with, like, skull and crossbones and stuff like going up like you know my, my and I'm just not that guy but it's a very comfortable hoodie um so I go to I go to Thomas Road that night and guy speaks I sit towards the back it was raining and I walked there because I was not smart and um I am sitting towards the back my hood on and everything and uh the guy like they do an invitation at the end and I'm just sitting there and I'm praying along with the group and, you know, just probably thinking about what I'm doing next. And I just feel like this, you know, little old lady's hands on my shoulders and she starts praying and she's like, Father God, I just pray for this baby. I, God, I don't know where he's coming from, but I'm looking at him in his clothes and nice, little, sweet Southern voice. And God, I just pray that he knows you, Jesus. He probably is coming from a life of, of gangs and drugs and, and, and all these things. And God, I just, just, just bless this baby. I don't know what he knows and, and who he knows. And God, I don't know where he's coming from. He may be going through something right now. He may be running from the cops, Jesus. But you've brought him here to this place. And I'm just like sitting here, just like listening to her pray. I'm like, now I could do this a couple ways. Like I can like, I can, I'm not an actor. I'm not Jeremiah, but I can put on, I can, I can be this guy just for the sake of this, like this being a funny story. But I, she was just so sweet. I was like, she, so that she stops praying finally. And she, uh, she sounds very proud. She's like, baby, tell me your story. I was like, hi, my name's Dade. I'm a youth ministry major over here at, at the college right here. She was like, I'm so sorry. But you know Jesus? I was like, yes, ma'am. And she was so embarrassed, her like beat red. Her husband was like, baby, let's go. And so she ran off. And that was the last time I saw her. But at the, <laughs> so the moral of that story is don't judge people by the way that they look. But also the part of the story is that like, I, Years later, that it's you know it hasn't been something I've just made fun of her about. I love the intent of do you know Jesus, but also the question of what does someone who knows Jesus looks like? What does it look like to know Jesus? Like can you can you see it outwardly, or does it play out with the fear that's in our lives, or does it play out in what you're willing to do? Um, like I said, I want to keep reading because I think there's more to this story. Um, in verse 13, it says, when they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. He said, get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. 
And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet out of Egypt. I called my son when Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi. He was furious and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under in accordance with the time he had learned from the, uh, learned from the Magi. Then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice is heard in Ramah weeping in great mourning. Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. So in these last three verses, Matthew does well to remind us that these events were foretold by the prophets. Matthew's continuing to, to, uh, to build the case or, or build the bridge that Jesus is the Messiah by pointing to the words of reliable sources to the readers, like Hosea and Jeremiah, where these passages are found, to show that Jesus is a fulfillment of these prophetic promises. Let's get a little bit of background for, for, for these characters uh, that, that we meet in this passage. So in verse 1, we, uh, uh, it reads, uh, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem. So in verse 1, we meet a couple of folks. We meet King Herod. Good guy or bad guy? <laughs> Correct. Bad guy. Um, Herod wasn't a great guy. Uh, he's remembered, he, he did, like, even in a bad guy, he was remembered for some great things. He was, he was an amazing builder of cities, but also he was very paranoid. Like paranoid to the point where history tells us that he was ruthless and, and evil and who even mur- murdered many people in his own family, including his wife. Because he was just worried that somebody was trying to come and get his throne. Which leads to why he was so paranoid about Jesus. He was popular with Jews for at least a time period because he supervised the lavish renovation of the temple. Herod did this. Um, so he had like, he had an end with them. It became more larger and beautiful um, through Herod's time. His title was King of the Jews, and, but it was granted by Rome, not by God. See, see, Herod wasn't fully Jewish and he was not part of the Davidic line, so he couldn't be the prophetic King of the Jews. But Rome said, hey, guess what? You have an end with us. You have an end with them. You're the king over there. Although Israel benefited from Herod's lavish efforts to repair the temple to Jerusalem, he didn't really have any real admiration because he also built various pagan temples. Herod's costly attempt to gain the loyalty of the people failed because it was superficial. You know, he, like, he just built stuff. I don't know if you've ever just seen this. Like, like if I just do enough great things, people will like me. If I just do enough stuff, if I just, like, if I build a big enough house, if I, if I have enough, enough stuff that I'm going to have the admiration, folks. His royal title was not genuine. Herod was constantly worried about losing his position. So because of this, and because of what he heard about Jesus, his plan was literally to locate and kill all two-year-olds or younger before he could become a threat. Could you just imagine, like, 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 like this is, um, it reminds me of like the 300 movies. I know it's a story too, but I didn't do well in history, so I got to rely on the movies. To where like, you know, like uh, where, where um, uh, um, the, the, the king um, is coming and, and they're saying like, I should have killed this kid as a baby and not, like, and not allowed him to become king because now that he's king, he's too powerful to kill. That's, that's Herod's mindset. Also in verse 1, we meet these men called the Magi. Now, we remember them as the three wise men. 
Um, if you're looking into my social media stuff, it, it says Wiseman Caraway because um, I, I never got picked to be in a play except one time I got to be in a, Chris, in a Christmas play and I was Wiseman number two and I've never let that go. That's my, that's my star role. Talk to my wife. She has a great credits of all the plays that things she's been in. I was Wiseman number two. Right. And it's funny enough because I'm just only in threes because I also was in fifth grade. I was I was Shadrach and Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. So I can only be like one of three in any Bible story. That's not the point. The point is this passage. Um, theologians have um, determined that the, we don't know if there's necessarily three, but traditionally we just always said it was three because why? Because there's three gifts. And we know, like, you know, coming from the East, they're probably come from a black family. And you can't just uh, like show up somewhere without a present. That's what my mom's always taught me. Right. Um, Theologians have determined that these wise men were from the East. They were most likely from, from Persia. Here's what's interesting about that. Modern-day Iran, um, this means that they traveled probably eight to 900 miles to go see Jesus. I'm not driving 800, 900 miles in my car. This was a camel ride, probably. Maybe horse. Anybody, anybody want to take that ride this afternoon? It's a beautiful day outside. Anybody want to go across the Middle East on camelback um, to, go see the, 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 to go see this child? Now, I think like a lot of times like in our history and what we've understood from Scripture, we're, we're kind of like, oh, they just followed a star. They probably got some, you know, like these are probably scientists and they, like they just figured out there's something different about this star. They just were like looking up at the sky and they were so intrigued by it. Like this was like... You know, if it was nowadays, it would be like people chasing UFOs. Like, remember when like a couple of years ago when everybody was trying to uh, break into the place out in Nevada? What is it called? Area, Area 51. Like, it's, it's almost like this version of that. Or it could have been more than that. Um, what do we know about Persia in Scripture? Was there anybody that, that you know, maybe uh, um, from, our, from our stories and from our Sunday school stories that was in Persia? Yeah, there was. This guy named Daniel. If you get to the end of, of, of the book of Daniel, Daniel has a prophecy called Daniel's 40 weeks. I had to learn about this in my ordination exam. And in Daniel's 40 weeks, Daniel lays out almost to the exact year of when the Messiah would, would have come. He lays out from like, this is from how many, like this is the time period from um, the beginning of time of where we are now. This is the time period from the exile to the return to uh, the return to Israel. And this is when the Messiah should show up. Daniel gives this prophecy and these guys that would have come from this time period, whether they were Jewish or not, we don't know that much about their background. They would have been in the same region where they read this, not to mention they also would have had um, the, the benefit of the prophecy of Balaam found in uh, Numbers chapter 24. And this uh, promise, uh, prophecy specifically mentions a star coming out of Jacob. So these guys, smart guys, not taking anything away from these magi, they're able to connect these two things. Like this was a prophecy that was given up in, that, that, you know, that they would have heard about. If they were Jewish, they would have read about you know, um, um, being in Persia, but also connecting it with Balaam, who, who, who was in the same region as them, connecting these two things together and says, oh, yeah, this is important. If we're to believe what Daniel is saying about the, like, the coming Messiah, we know the when, and we know the when when the star shows. We know the when and we know the where just by following the star. This is something worth following. Like, like there's arrows pointing to this. This is something that we're sure we should be a part of. I know that like, you know, we love to connect this with the Christmas story. 
Like, it's like well, so Dane, what are you saying? That they didn't show up while they were, they, were in the, they were in the stable? Like, I like the picture of these kings coming and kneeling over this, like, infant, like this newborn baby. Yeah, that probably wasn't the case. It tells us in the scripture that Mary and Joseph were living in a house by now. That they, they come into the house. Jesus was a toddler, probably, when the wise men saw him for the first time. Um, the, the, verse 3 says, And asked, uh, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? This is Herod talking. We saw his, I'm sorry, uh, wise men. Um, We saw a star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this and uh, was disturbed, all the Jerusalem with him, when uh, when he had called together all the people's uh, chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. So in in these passages, Matthew, again, is building the bridge between promise and fulfillment. He points to the words from from Micah as the the promise of where Jesus would be born, Um, which leads me to probably the most baffling part of the story. These chief priests would know, would know that they know what they know. They would have had tons of lessons. They would have studied these prophecies of where Jesus was to be born. You know how I know? Because you got guys riding eight to 900 miles to come hear these prophecies. There's people that are here. They're in town. Like Bethlehem's not that far from Jerusalem. They're, they're here. And like when these wise men come to ask him about it, Man, it, it doesn't move them. If somebody came to ask you, like, just think about this. Like, if someone came to ask you about something that you're supposed to be an expert in, yes, they were the keepers of the law. They were the, like, like they were the, they were the, you know, supposed to be, like, the prominent knowers and leaders of the law of Jacob. They're supposed to know these things. But Jesus was the fulfillment of the law and the fulfillment of all these prophecies, and they missed it. Someone's coming to ask him about something that they should definitely know. Like, I, I, as I was prepping for this, I'm, I, it's, it's baffling to me, like, man, how far the divide was between the, the priest and Jesus. I was kind of like assumed it to be just like a jealousy. Like, like they're over here with their lemonade stand, but at that lemonade stand, Jesus got strawberry lemonade. So everybody just went like, oh, well, he's making fish and loaves pop out. Chief priest, y'all got any fish and loaves? Well, we're going to go here to Jesus because he's, he's healing people. There's blind people that are seeing, and he got fish. I just thought it was just like a jealousy thing. No, it's, 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 it goes back farther than that. These guys are sitting, and they had settled into their position of, well, we don't got the Messiah yet, but we're cool with King Herod. I mean, like, he welcomes us in. Like, stuff happens, he's calling, like, like, like these are his advocates. They're, they're asking for, like, for them to come in and, and, uh, and explain things to him. We're in cool with the king. This is good enough. Our situation is fine. And they were so comfortable with that, they couldn't recognize when Jesus was here. Like, they missed it. So, like, back, back to our original question, what does it look like to know Jesus? Because as, as, as for that time period, oh, they knew about the Messiah. They were able to answer Herod. Like, hey, um, what, what's this about this star? What's this about this? And they're like, oh, yeah, it's supposed to be in Bethlehem. They had answers for him. So, like, like how, did, 
How do we get here? I think it's as simple as that. Like, when we get comfortable with our circumstance here on earth, when we get like, comfortable with, like, like, this is good enough. I don't need to look for Jesus. I don't need to have a pursuit of Jesus. I don't need to have anything else because what, what, is, what I've made my life to be and who I've made my life to, to be around, this is good. I can be right here. I mean, they didn't act on what they had studied. It was interesting, and, and I don't know if we touched on this when we were in John, but um, Jesus would later tell them this. In John chapter 5, verse 39 through 40, he says this, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is that they that bear witness about me. Jesus is telling them this, like, you've read these things, you've studied these things, and everything that you studied has bore witness pointing to me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. Jesus is telling them, I don't want to take anything from you. I want to give you something better. I want to replace the life that you have with mine. Tragically, the chief priest's inability to recognize the birth of the Messiah as something as important as a relationship with King Herod not only cost them, but the lives of many Jewish boys. It cost them. Let's skip down to verse 16 for a second. It says, uh, when, when Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem in its vicinity who were two years old and under in accordance with, um, the, time he, uh, with the time he had learned from the Magi. King Herod wanted to extinguish any chance of anything threatening his throne. He wanted to, to like... What he had built his life upon, his own kingdom, his own house, his own foundation, he didn't want anything to threaten that. And you know what? I understand him. I mean, like, if, if, for the adults in this room, if you've done anything successful in, in your life, oh, you probably want to finish successful. You probably want to, like, have people, like, by the end of your life, like, when you're at your retirement ceremony, you want people to be able to say, like, you did a great job. Like one of the like most baffling, I was talking to somebody about this yesterday. Like there's, you hear a lot, you can go on YouTube and you can find a lot of um, ceremonies of pastors being installed and the grand like ceremonies that are in, um, in, in, in all these different, like, like how people start. When was the last time you saw one of your favorite pastors like retirement ceremony? We don't finish well. Like, if, if you pray for me, like, like that, that needs to be your prayer that Dane finishes well. Free of controversy, free of, free of like, of, of anything that would embarrass my family, that would embarrass my friends and, and the folk. Like, like we're, this isn't a church where I'm just like, I'm friends with the people of this church. I would never want to do anything to embarrass you. There's just not that many great re- pastor retirement parties anymore. Why? Because they just fail. That's why people don't trust churches. I was talking to a guy the other day at uh, the boys' soccer tryouts, and, like, I told him I was a pastor, and he was just like, really? Like, didn't you seem like a great guy? And I'm like, thanks. <laughs> Why do you want to be a pastor? You seem like you're a great guy. <laughs> like, you're not worried. Like, you know, he's just, like, asking me. He's like, but I've heard that so many of the, like, people are doing that still because you have all these guys that either steal money or, or, or they, you know, they abuse the women in their church. Like, they, they, they cheat on their wives. You seem like such a great guy. Why would you want to do that? Yeah, I, I, I want to finish well. Like, do you hear me on that? Like, like I think when, I think when um, 
when we look at Herod, man, he was worried about something coming to just to threaten his throne. He was worried that like what he has built his life upon will be taken from him. Like it's kind of horrible to hear that this, 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 this Messiah would come and with like everything that he thought he was, he would usurp it. I've never seen an episode of Game of Thrones, but the way that people talk about it, I feel like this is about to be part of the storyline somehow. Like, somebody's on a throne and somebody else wants to come and take it. Did I, did I nail it for anybody? You don't have to. That's about right? Okay. <laughs> Sounds right. Um, the knowledge of the Messiah caused Herod and even the chief priests to question what this could mean for them. Like, they recognized that this prophecy of the Messiah was going to change their circumstance. Brings it back to our initial question of what does knowing Jesus look like? For, for King Herod and the chief priests, knowing Jesus means facing the fear of what would be taken away. I'm not saying this is right, by the way, but this is what it looks like for them. Like knowing Jesus, having the realization of Jesus is the recognition of facing the fear of what could be taken away. Man, we know this. Like, like there are people that are on the brink of like making a decision to follow Jesus. That this is this is the hardest part. This is the like the hardest step because it's, it, 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 you know you look at who you are, you look at your circumstance, you look at the throne that you have built and, and and the kingdom that you have built and the life that you've built for yourself, and you recognize that a decision to allow Jesus to have that throne means that you don't have it anymore. And and, and that's a hard one. I mean, there are probably a lot of us who, who deal with similar thoughts. We have this knowing of, of who Jesus is, but that knowing we become hesitant to following him because of what it would cost. It's expensive. Any of the kids here that, like, you know, that, that were part of my youth group, I would talk about this a lot. Like, our, our faith is something as, as terms as, like, monetary. Like, it's not cheap to follow Jesus. It, it costs you something. You're going to pay for it. Herod was afraid that this newborn king would one day take his throne. But in that, he completely misunderstood the reason of Jesus coming. He didn't get it. Jesus didn't want Herod's throne. He wanted to be king of Herod's life. He, he wanted, you know, he wanted more than that. Jesus wanted to give Herod eternal life, not take away his present life. I mean, today people are often afraid that that Christ wants to take things away when in reality, he wants to give them real freedom, peace, and joy. And I don't think that's just the pastor talking. I, th- I think like essentially that like, that's what it looks like. I mean, a lot of times, yeah, it does come with taking things away. It does come with stripping some things away. It's like, hey, the things that you think that are the most important, the things that you think are, are, are the big things in your life, they actually aren't that big. Because I'm the one who allowed you to go through these circumstances and a, a belief and a trust and a following of me gives you the empowerment you need to deal with what you deal with. It's a difference. You can deal with it, with, you can, you can deal with it on your own. You can face the stress, the anxiety, and, and just the hardships on your own. And you know what? You, props to you. You're fighting and you're dealing with it. By the way, I exist outside of that. Can I give you the ability to do that? And, and you can experience peace. Can I give you the ability to do that with my help? 
with the, the, the counsel of the Holy Spirit? And when was the last time you experienced joy, by the way? When was the last time you looked at the circumstances and the things that you have in your life and you're able to say, like, man, there's something about, like, my following of Jesus that I'm able to approach this with joy? Kind of got a good attitude about it. I, I, I think that's the, the purpose. Man, we, we don't fear Christ. We, we need to give him the throne of our life. God will do, more with, uh, will do more with it than you ever could. Uh, continuing on in, um, in verse 10, it says, when they saw the star, talking about the wise men, it says, uh, on coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed and down and worshiped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with golds of, of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Uh, these men, they could have traveled up to two years to see the Savior. Now, I know like a lot of times like we travel places to get something. We, you know, like, and sometimes it's like, you know, I know when we go on family trips and things, we always got to like play out the time period of where are we going? How long is it going to take? And is it worth it? In this situation, these guys, the, the, the traveling of two years was to get a glimpse of the most important thing in their life, per the reading of the, of, of the prophecies that they would have understood. These men from faraway lands recognized Jesus as the Messiah when most of God's chosen people, these chief priests, didn't. And as we know, through the course of Jesus' life, they wouldn't get his purpose. Um, When they finally found him, they responded with joy. They responded with worship, and they responded with gifts. And and I just think about, like, how different is is that than us for you know, so many of our approach, uh, uh, so many of us that we take towards, you know, our interactions with Jesus. By the way, have you ever thought about the significance of the gifts? I know it's not Christmas. Maybe I should have said this for Christmas. But you ever thought about the significance of the gifts that they gave Jesus? You ever think about it? Like, you know, gold is something that you give to a king. It's the recognition that this is royalty. That you give, like, you know, like you see all across scripture that, like, gold is given to, like, you know, like from, from one king to another or somebody in recognition. Like, I recognize you as the king. Here's a gift of gold to you. Incense, you know, like if you've ever been to a Catholic church, this is something that even in, in the Old Testament, incense is something that you give as an offering to deity. This is something that you're recognizing as God, that you, the burning of incense. This is some, one of the jobs of the priests in the temple at the time. But what about myrrh? Anybody got some myrrh laying around somewhere? Unless you are uh, somebody who works in a funeral home, you probably don't know what this is. Myrrh is a spice that you use to, to, to prep about somebody who's going to die. Like even in the story, uh, even in the, um, the, uh, the gifts that were given, recognize Jesus as not just the king, but as the Messiah and who was going to die for the sake of us. That was pretty cool. It's not the message, but I thought it was cool. While, while all ex- awesome, expensive gifts, I'm sure Mary was probably sitting there on Mother's Day. Like, I don't know if there's probably moms would be a great story, <laughs> conversation. Like moms probably got like a lot of gifts. Like when you were first had your, your, um, <laughs> your, your first baby shower and you just got the gifts of like, what am I going to do with this? Like, I, you know, I got, a, I got a toddler. Thank you, wise men from the East. But what am I going to do with some myrrh? Like, can I, can I put this in his bottle? Like, I, there, there's no need for myrrh here. <laughs> but a lot of theologians think that, you know, all being expensive gifts that Mary and Joseph probably sold these things to, uh, for, for their trip to Egypt. Um, the gifts are appropriate for the identity of who Jesus is. The Magi brought gifts and worshiped Jesus for who he was. This is the essence of true worship. 
It's not a song. It's not a poem. It's not our singing. It's not our dancing. Worship is honoring God for who he is and being willing to give him what is valuable to you. Worship is, is honoring God for, for, for who he is and being willing to give him what is valuable to you. Taking what's valuable to, uh, to ourselves and saying, it's better for you. It's, it would be Herod saying, like, what's valuable to me is my throne, and I'm giving it to you, Jesus. Worship God because he is perfect, just, and almighty. He's the creator of the universe and, and worthy of the best that you have to give. I tell you one that says, and having been warned in a dream uh, not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, uh, get up, take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled of what the Lord had said through the prophets, out of Egypt I called my son. Listen, we're going after the question of what does it look like? Uh, what does our knowing Jesus looks like? I, I think it looks like the wise men and Joseph with hearts prepared to, uh, to worship and obey. Like see the, the wise men going to worship Jesus, like traveling long ways, what would inconvenience them to go and worship him? Like 800, 900 miles is a big inconvenience, but saying like this route, this pursuit is worth it. And it's also just having the willingness to say like, yeah, I'm going to follow you. It probably wasn't great. Like Mary and Joseph, they're new homeowners. They got a baby. Hey, up and move to Egypt. Well, it's for the sake of, of, of God's purposes. After finding Jesus and worshiping him, the Magi were warned by God not to return uh, through Jerusalem as they had intended. And, and this is just such, it's like, okay, don't miss this part of the story. Finding Jesus may mean that your life must take a different direction. Does that make sense? Like, like, these guys came with great pursuit. They came going after something. And a lot of times I think that we think, man, as long as I do the right thing, you know, towards the Lord, God wanted me to come to church this morning, so now I'm here. Yeah, but he brought you here on his way to teach to take you to do something else. Finding Jesus may mean that your life takes a different direction. Hey, uh, question. A year and a half ago, all of you in here, uh, did you think that in a year and a half, you'll be sitting in a movie theater where you probably came one time to see, name a Marvel movie, like, that, like you, this is where you would be. Man, finding Jesus takes you in a different direction, doesn't it? I mean, even if you've been saved for a long period of time, there's going to be things that happen in your life. And as you try to figure out like, what, what your next step is and, and what God's doing with it, a lot of times when you, when you get a hold of Jesus and sometimes he even brings you back to it, he's not just bringing you back to, to himself, but to send you in your next direction. Finding Jesus takes you on a, on a different direction. Like it, it alters your plans. That's one of the, can I just like, that's one of the signs of true faith where you're interacting with Jesus, you coming to know Jesus, you see Jesus takes you in a place where you weren't already going. Because we know that our plans are, 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 are you know, even in the best of plans, they're somewhat selfish. What do I want to be when I grow up? Great thing to talk about with your kids, totally selfish. But then God gives us our, our dreams and our pursuits, and he gives us our, our own intentions and our own desires. Absolutely. Now go and give that to the Lord and see what he does with it. Finding Jesus means that your life is going to take a different direction, and uh, one that is responsive and obedience to God's words. And the, the question we have to deal with is, are we willing to be led a different way? 
Yeah, it's going to take a different way, a, a direction. God's going to point you somewhere else, but are you willing to go there? God's going to say like, hey, um, love that you responded to me. Love your worship for me. I'm sending you here. And you may or may not know the purpose, but you know that I'm the ultimate purpose. Are you willing to, to do it? I mean, and, and even for Joseph, this was the second time that he had been told. Remember, like he, he, he marries this, this, this woman, finds out she's pregnant, and he's just like, I guess I got to divorce her. I guess I got to do something. Just like, I got to do something that, that like, you know, because I don't want her to be stoned and killed, but I also don't want to be an embarrassment to my family. What, what should I do? Angel shows up and says, hey, Joseph, don't worry about this. Like, Mary's serving the purpose of me. This is, your job is to raise the young Messiah. And now the second time, Joseph's like, well, it worked the first time. <laughs> it worked out for me the first time, following the direction of God. Now that I'm having this, this is where I'm supposed to go. Following Jesus gives you inside information. Let me tell you this, like, like following Jesus gives you inside information, like that, that God is working outside of our, of our atmosphere of, of what's happening. When we follow Jesus, we get, we get to know some stuff. We get to make bold decisions in the direction he wants us to go and trust in what he's going to do with it. He promises not to leave or forsake us. He gives us inside information. When you obey God's revelation, you get further divine illumination. I mean, even for this, like, you know, like what, what he's telling Joseph is like, hey, um, you, gotta, you guys got to get on to Egypt. Herod's going to be relentless and try to kill Jesus. Stay there until Herod dies, and then Herod would die a, a year or two later. And this was, like I said, it was this, the second dream that Joseph had received from God. And although Joseph was not Jesus' natural father, he was Jesus' legal father and was responsible for the safety and well-being. Divine guidance comes only to, to prepared hearts. Like, I mean, if you're ever like wondering, like, man, I, I'm not hearing from God. I'm not, I'm not like, like, Dan, I hear what you're saying about how God talks to us and how he leads us in things. Do you have an obedient heart? Are, are, are you still Herod on your own throne? A lot of times, like, we could be like, I, I believe this, I sing the songs, I show up the church, I give, I do all these things. But, like, you're still on your throne. Yeah, like, you're like, you know the difference, like, when, when, I, get into, when I get into my, um, my mom's car and she's driving, her Waze, like, you know, the Waze app, like Google Maps, her Waze is set to the loudest thing possible. It is so loud. Like, it'll be like beautiful soul music. Like, I'll hear like Anita Baker will be playing. And then all of a sudden, turn left. Like, it's just like, you know, it's, it's startling. I'm like, who, like, this is insane. Like, what, like, who lives like this? You get in my car, my guidance is turned off. I, I don't want you to talk to me. Like, I, I got this. I just want to be able to look over there sometimes to make sure I'm going the right way. Here's the problem with that. You know what, you know what my mom never does? Misses a turn. You know what I do all of the time? miss the exit, miss the turn, because no one's guiding me. I'm just looking over there whenever I get a chance and whenever I'm like, you know, whenever it makes sense, like I've been going this road for about three miles and it said it's going to turn in four. And I realized that I'm, it's telling me to turn around for the last two minutes. Man, if you turn off the guidance, you're, 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 you're missing the whole point. Divine guidance is provided to, to, uh, to prepared hearts. Joseph remains receptive to, to, to God's guidance. And by the way, when it, when it comes to, to dreams and visions, I, I just want to say this, and I could, you know, if I had more time, I would back this up. 
when we think about dreams and, and visions, like I, I believe that yes, God can, God can, and He's proven to speak to us through dreams and visions. However, they will always line up with Scripture. You hear me when I say that? Like a lot of times, people are like, "God, God showed up to me in a dream, Dane, and He did this and He showed this to me." It's like great. Does it match up? God's never going to tell you something to do that isn't in line with Scripture. He's never going to show up to you like like everything that He did. He showed, he told to the Magi and he told to Joseph. It, it's, it's literally in scripture. And even in accordance to what we see in the Old Testament and things like that, it lines up with his purposes. God's never going to command you to do something outside of the will that he's already displayed because God doesn't contradict himself and God doesn't change. So how do we respond this morning? We have to move from, from fearing what we don't know about Jesus defining the joy and life and giving ourselves to him. That's how we respond. Like we have to move from this, man, I, I like, sure, I know Jesus, but my knowing Jesus is scared of everything that I can lose because I know him. Like y'all do a lot. Like, Dane, if, if knowing Jesus means I got to show up early on Sunday to move a cart, I don't know if I know Jesus because I like my sleep. Yeah, but what could you gain from it? I mean, like, it, like, has anybody ever said, who, who's followed Jesus, said that it wasn't worth it? How, how do we do that? I, I think we need to follow the example of the, of the magi, of the wise men. I mean, like, we, 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 what did they do? They, one, they, they read and believed God's word. Simplest. Like, you realize that this whole pursuit, this eight to 900 mile, maybe two year walk or camel ride to Bethlehem started with reading God's word and believing it. Like at the core of who you are, like I, I, I'm a big believer in that we have a corporate pursuit of, a corporate pursuit of faith, a corporate pursuit of Jesus. I, I believe that firmly. But the way that this plays out to each and every one of us individually is you got to read God's word and you got to believe it. You got to trust it. I, I've been having like a very like internal battle with, um, I've been reading Job recently. You talk about a book that you're like, God, where's the goodness in this? Like, like how, how, how does the, the goodness and the love towards, like, like I, and I haven't finished it yet, but like, how is, the, how is the goodness of who you say you are? How does your, you know, your divine like, love and intention towards Job play out in this space? You got to read it and you got to believe it. Um, you got to seek Jesus. I mean, for the wise men, it meant that they read God's word and they believed God's word, and it actually meant that they did something about it. By the way, this wasn't a little something about it. This wasn't like, I'm going to find the little stuff to do. No, this was what, what we have grown up hearing, what we've learned about this thing, and we've connected the dots and we recognize that this is like, you know, supreme, that this is God coming to earth. Now we're going to go take a journey on it. You willing to seek Jesus? Are you willing to go and find him? Just, you know, if I can give you like a clue. Um, when I was a kid, I used to love the show Carmen, uh, Where in the World is Carmen San Diego, and the whole show was like giving clues of where the world Carmen San Diego was. If I could give you a clue, you're not going to find him in the easiest spots. You're not going to find him where, you're, where, you, where you've already built your life to be. You know? Like what we're going to read here in a couple uh, in a couple of weeks, like some of my favorite parables, and, it's, and it talks about how like the kingdom of God is hard to find. 
because it's not in the easiest spots. We got to read and believe God's word. We got to seek Jesus. And we got to recognize the worth of Christ. I mean, one of the hardest parts about our society, one of the hardest parts of what it, uh, being a believer in America is that there's a lot of things that are worth that are worth some stuff. I mean, I even see it in my kids. Like my kids, what they know when they've broken something that's worth things. Like they, they, there's a humility that comes upon them, you know, that that's not found when they break the McDonald's toy. It's different. When they crack their iPad, oh, they know they messed up. And we got to recognize the, the worth of Jesus. The, the wise men did this by bringing their gifts, bringing something that was of value to them and that recognized that they knew who Jesus was. You ever think about this? Like in your giving to the Lord, in your gifting to the Lord, that it will be a direct connection of who Jesus is. So what do we do? We, we humble ourselves and we worship him. By the way, like the least amount of worship you should do is on this Sunday morning. Yes, we worship him by reading his word. We worship him by singing the songs. We worship him by serving in our, in our local church. But it, it takes someone with true humility to do it in the hours from, let me do some math, 12 a.m. Sunday to 10 a.m. the next Sunday. We humble ourselves to worship Jesus. And finally, we obey God rather than man. We obey God rather than man. I mean, these wise men, like, there was pressure put on them. Herod told them, like, hey, come back and tell me. And, and they just had the insight of, like, yeah, like, we probably shouldn't go back and, and tell that guy what, what, what happened here. He, we probably shouldn't do this. I think there's just, like, this, this, this mindset of, of things. Like, you know, I, I know I didn't do, like, a Mother's Day message, but if, if I could kind of, I, I know every mom knows this. I think that there is a, a sense that moms have to where what is best for their kids does not match what everybody else is telling them to do or what some authority is telling them to do. Like, I, I've heavily relied on my wife in these areas to where, like, this is the time to be mad at the teacher or at the, somebody else or at the other kid, and these are the times to hold our kid responsible. That, or even just the idea of, like, you know, when, when we... When we you know, know what God desires for us to do. When we know who God has called us to be, we know that it doesn't mesh well with name a force or name an authority, even the, 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 the pressure of, of our culture, what it would demand. I think that's how we respond, guys. I, I, I think that we are, you know, that we are called to be people who move from, from fearing what we don't know about Jesus to finding joy in life uh, that, um, and giving ourselves to him. That we are called to be um, the movers from our own thrones, the giving up of our own thrones to, to follow Jesus, who's always deserved it in the first place. Amen? Would you pray with me? Father God, I, um, I, uh, I ask you, um, one, just for your help. Um, one thing that you can't say about this story is that by any stretch of the imagination, is it easy? I mean, the, uh, the Magi didn't have a short walk, but it was worth it. 
Um, following you isn't easy here in 2023, but, but it's worth it. I think that you uh, make plenty of promises and you've proven yourself enough to us and, you know, and your goodness and, and what you offer us. But a lot of times, it, 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 you know, if we're to be honest, there's just a fear in us that life will not be worth living outside of our own thrones, outside of our own kingdoms. And God, I don't, I don't want to be like Herod. I don't want to be paranoid about what following you could mean I could lose. I want to recognize that whatever I would gain by following you would be far more worth whatever I can get for myself. God, give us the eyes to see that. Give us the the hearts to believe it. And God, give us the feet to do it. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You just listened to a message from Dane Carraway, the pastor of Church at the Well in Towson, Maryland. To learn more about our church and to support what we're doing in the greater Baltimore area, visit our website, thewellbaltimore.com. Thank you for tuning in to the sermon podcast from Church at the Well. May God bless you.